Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 42. Today, we're continuing our summer book club and discussing chapters 5, 6, and 7 from Teaching for Musical Understanding by Jackie Wiggins. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. time for some high notes and low notes from our summer vacation. Yep. Not the classroom. Not the classroom. So what you got, Tanya? All right. Mine's kind of geeky, but necessary. Um, I'm just very excited that uh, I've used the last week, um, and my husband and I have both used the last week to kind of clean up clutter around the house. I cleaned off my desk, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but really is. And we have had things in a storage unit for the last couple of years that have been, it's been costing us. Um, $250 a month. Wow. And that's, you know, money that you don't want, like, flying away. Right. Just to keep your junk in a place. So, anyway, so I did not help with that. I will just say that because he deserves all the credit. Of course, now we've got um, more piles of things in boxes in the garage to deal with. But we gave away a lot of things. Cool. And if anybody knows what Magnaplane speakers are and wants some, I'm going to be sell, selling those. Oh, nice. Those These are, are like really expensive primo speakers. expensive, huge speakers. Yeah. Nobody wants huge, huge speakers, but there's some audiophile out there. Oh, yeah. Who would pay. I mean, Craig, my husband, <clears throat> looked it up, and apparently, like, these speakers go for like between a thousand and two thousand dollars. Wow. Of course, that's only if someone really you can find someone who really wants to pay that. Yeah. But I, don't I know. would think, yeah, there's going to be somebody. Yeah. And I cleaned off my desk, which was a huge thing because cool. That's the place where the things that I don't want to deal with live. Yeah. And um, here's a little teacher tip, kind of, sort of, but a work smarter, not harder tip is that when going through piles of stuff like that, it's very nice to keep a notebook at your side so that when like ideas flit in your head or like must-dos flit in your head you can just jot it down and then get back to what you were doing cool because i've been known to like start cleaning something and then come across something that needs to be filed or dealt with and then i start dealing with that and i've not done the clearing out of things right so i know i can see that now that i've put everyone to sleep with exciting um (laughs) parents I need to do the same. I just, I haven't done it yet. Yours is not bad. You don't have the, I mean, I'm talking, I had heaps of unrelated nonsense. It was yeah, horrible. I yeah. hear you. So what about you? Oh, okay. Well, Give um, us a high or a low. I've got a high note. We did a little mini family vacation and it was quite lovely. Nice. We went to Glenwood Springs, which is like one of my favorite little Colorado getaway vacations. It's only, you know, like two and a half to three hours. And has natural hot has springs. Has natural hot springs, which we love. So it's There's just fun. There's two pools, the really hot pool. The really hot pool and, and the not so hot pool. Not so Which hot is pool. still like 90 something degrees. Yeah. Warm enough that you can swim there in the winter. But it's fun to go in the summer, especially with kids, because then they can get in and out of the pool and jump in. Or if you're in the winter, you're like submerged in water the whole time and trying not to get your hair wet. Yes. Because then it turns into icicles. My family goes every that's December. Fun. I mean, I enjoy doing that. But with my kids, the ages that they are, they still like to get out of the pool and jump in the pool. And, Plus, yeah. they have the slides open during the summer. 
Yes, but right now they're closed because they're redoing slides. Oh, my. They're building new slides. It's like one big, it's kind of a lazy river, rafty kind Ooh. of one big slide. But it's not done yet. Oh. So, yeah, no slides. But that's okay. We still had a blast. We stayed in a little cabin, which were normally tent campers, but... We stayed in a little cabin, so it was nice to not have to set up a tent, but still got to cook our food outside on a little camp stove That's like we great. like to do. And they have the adventure park at the top of the mountain, which, which you is ride very a scary. Gondola up, and they have crazy rides, none of which my family wanted to do, but they have cave tours. Yes. So we did the cave tours, and um, my husband especially is kind of geeky about caves, so he was really excited about it. Did they turn off all the lights? Yeah, and they shine they like that. the black lights on some of them, and they mm-hmm. like, glow funny. Make yeah, sure the crystal or the stalactites and the stalagmites. Yes, yes, yes. So it was just a fun, lovely little couple day getaway in Glenwood Springs, and it was very relaxing and very fun. Yay! Yay! And so we are continuing our conversation on the book Teaching for Musical Understanding by Jackie Wiggins. And so today we are focusing on chapters five, six, and seven. Yes. Yes. And as we are going through, um, we're just going to, of course, start with chapter five. Can I just say, um, chapter five, I started getting kind of frustrated. Okay. Because I just wanted to get to give, I kept thinking, give me an example. Yeah, I I was struggling with that too. Um, lots of context still about what we're talking about. And so chapter five is focusing on musical problem solving. Right. And as a little update, this whole book is focused on a constructivist view of music teaching, one where the students have a lot of buy-in and agency and are um, creating and discovering music and music elements, which we're not really calling music elements anymore, Um, but it's where the students are constructing their own understanding and their own learning based off of musical experiences. And a big theme in this is kids need to be involved in authentic music making and creating and composition in small groups and in larger groups. And anyway, so that's kind of the gist of it. So chapter five is music learning as music problem solving, and I know Carrie that you are not thrilled with the um, the word problem. I struggle with the word problem, and this is just—I mean, I—I'm not upset about her using it in the book in this context because I understand, and I mentioned this in the last podcast that I took a training on problem-based learning (PBL), mm-hmm. but yes. specifically problem, not project. And the whole time, and maybe I'm just thinking of it too hard, but the whole time I really struggled with this idea of, well, what's the problem? Because problem to me you know, has a negative connotation that there's, like, a problem we need to solve as far as, like, you know, I, I mentioned this again in the last podcast. If you were doing, like, a PBL unit in a science class about environmentalism and the problem is pollution and we need right. to solve it, or a social studies unit, the problem is, you know, racism and people not understanding each other's cultures. We have, we're going to solve Well, it. how do you think that students that we teach view that word problem. And that's what it is. Maybe it really is just me, and I need to think of the word problem as more of like challenge or puzzle or something something to figure out. 
Um, but then when I just, okay, if I think about like a typical lesson that I do, like a typical Koda inspired lesson, you know, we do a couple little like kind of warm up songs and activities to get us moving. And then we're, you know, maybe reading and writing of, uh, or doing something visual with a familiar song where we're decoding a certain rhythm or doing some part work or some things like that. And I think in my head, like, okay, well, where's the problem in that? It's the problem, just the challenge of, hey, can you keep this ostinato going while I sing the song on top of yeah, it? Yeah, I think that is. And I think that's what it is. And so I think it's just me thinking of Instead of using problem, of insert challenge or, uh, yeah. you know, something like that. Can, right. I, can I read a little quote from the bottom of this page, which yep. I think sums up, like, the the goal yes the intent is to develop within a music learning community an ongoing culture of inquiry that produces curious learners who wonder about music and seek to learn as much uh, okay i'm sorry and seek to learn as much about musical process and product as they can right that is a that is a um a, a big challenge yes because I, especially with older learners mm -hmm. who have to go, like I'm thinking general music class yep. for 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, which I'll be teaching in the fall, like they have to be there. Maybe for them, that's their problem, right? Is that they have, have to, be to be here. here and survive um, so yeah. how do I build a community where they are authentically curious and wanting, you know, to, to learn in music? Yeah. So really that's, that's what yeah. it's about. And I guess, I mean, she breaks it down. Um, all the time that, you know, the three kind of tasks that they're going to be doing through mm -hmm. these processes is performing music and listening, listening to music and creating music. Yeah. And I think it's easy to me to think about the creation of music as being kind of that opportunity for the students to really dig in and really show what they know and be curious about music in that way, but then creating their own product, which right. is what many musicians do. You know, when we think about popular musicians, I mean, musicians that they're listening to, that idea for them, I think, is going to stick as far as creating a song, creating a composition, creating music. Um, the performing, again, I think I just get hung up on the idea as performing being a problem. Performing is not a problem, obviously. It's not negative. Performing no, but the problem is, is how do we um, make, I think she cited this in one of the chapters, how do we make a harmonic progression, how do we make this chord progression fit this melody we've created? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Or if we're Holding listening. Holding your own parts. And... Yeah. If we're listening and we're trying to recreate something, you know, oh, how do I get the percussion to sound this way? Right. Right. So, I mean, I think it's just a different view on the word problem. Right. The other times that I get hung up, and I think, again, it's just me in my own head as she talks about how they have to be authentic, real-life experiences. So I quoted this on page 58. Solving real-life musical problems means solving problems using the same thought processes and procedures that real musicians use when they solve musical problems. Of course. Yeah. So when you're talking to your kids about this, you know, we can talk about how we're performing music the way that you know, symphony musicians do or the way that pop musicians do where we're figuring out our parts and we're figuring out how to put it all together. I think the part that I feel like maybe students might challenge and maybe I'm challenging for myself a little bit is, well, if you're not really truly prepared for a performance that you're doing outside of the classroom, mm -hmm. are they going to view it as a real life musical experience? Well, and I think tied up with that is this idea of goal bait basing everything on goals and our yeah. society is really you know we we are heavily burdened with this idea of everything being goal oriented like 
right? And so the goal in this case is the musical performance. Yeah. So that's how a lot of us operate is that, okay, third graders, we've got this performance coming up in December. Mm -hmm. We've got to get this, this, this. But so you're right. That's the whole um, issue is that if you don't have a specific musical performance, if you're like, we're going to recreate this song or we're going to compose our own songs and you don't have a in goal, I mean, I, I guess if like that statement I just read, I guess if there's like an authentic curiosity of the students to just learn, 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 mm -hmm. do we need to have a goal attached at the end for that? Yeah, and I think about, like, again, you talk about older learners versus, like, my younger and middle-aged learners, like, they're, like, they're all in, you know? I'm, like, we're going to sing Rocky Mountain right. because it's well, just a beautiful then, song to sing, and the, they're all over yeah. it. They love it, and they find that joy. Older kids, and maybe it's the community where I'm teaching, they don't find maybe that intrinsic joy in music making just for music making's sake, even if it doesn't leave the four walls of my classroom that well, particular day. We're, yeah, and we're and I'm not making excuses at all, but we're competing. This is a different world, yeah. right? So we're competing with all these other draws yeah. of uh, entertainment, and a lot of entertainment is passive. This right. Is true. Yes. So where it used to be that a community would get together every Friday night in the barn and dance and yeah. that was their entertainment. Yeah. Now you get together every Friday night in the big comfy chairs at the movie theater and people show you things on the screen. Yeah. yeah. So that's a huge difference is the right. way we view entertainment is much, much of the time passive. Right. Yeah. So. And I reflect on the things that I know I do and many music teachers do to motivate, especially those older kids. We think about things like recorder karate, you know, where they're earning right. the belts. Well, that's not a real life experience. If I'm really thinking it in this way that she outlines, that's little gimmicky things to get them excited it's, about you know, practicing It's a real life experience, but not in the world of music. Exactly. Unless you're thinking about chairs. Well, this is true. I mean, there is competitiveness mm -hmm. and there is a time and a place for you buckle down and you practice because you want to get, yeah, a better position, a better chair, whatever. But what we want to build is that you buckle down and, and practice or you do what it takes because you love, love the it. music and you want to get good at it. Yeah. Like, oh, I can play this tune. Right. And not I can play this tune and like record myself on Instagram or YouTube and show me playing the tune, but like, I uh, just for the intrinsic joy. That's the whole Honestly, issue. There's your problem. How do we get them to have this inten intrinsic joy of performing music even when no one is listening? And that's what it is. Yeah, for yourself. All right. Um, I wanted to read another little quote, quote in here. Mm -hmm. Understandings and this is on page fifty nine in chapter five mm -hmm. near the bottom. And she's talking about problem-solving experiences. And she says, Understandings developed through a long-term series of projects, including opportunity for listening and performing, are essential to the development of understanding of unfamiliar music. So I really did appreciate her coming back to, like, including um, music of different styles and genres. Mm -hmm. And then there was this whole discussion, and I'm sorry, I might be getting ahead of myself because I can't remember if it's in chapter five or chapter six, where she talks about the problem of, and I don't mean the problem for kids to solve, but the problem of what music's to to use yes, and how much you let the the kids, the students decide the kind of music that you're right. using and yeah, all of that. that was but anyway, I wanted to bring it back to... Um, this uh, it's essential to the development and understanding of unfamiliar music that they that it's a long term series of projects. Yes. That, and so one of my frustrations, and this is this is one of that that kicked this frustration up, is like, 
okay, I, I get that and I understand and I'm even willing to like give it a try. What does that look like in a long range plan? And can yeah. you even long range plan when you are really delving into improvisation and composition? And she even mentions that lots and lots of listening to the same piece, which mm -hmm. I totally agree with, yeah. is necessary. As in a practical sense, when I sit down and I think through, okay, the next, say, eight lessons, yeah. how do I plan even, and that's not long range. I yeah. mean, it's it's a short shorter range. How do I plan out? I can't predict how many times they're going to need to hear this two-minute song in order for them to really get, and like, I, I think that this is just a classic music teacher problem, especially those people who want to, to subscribe to the wonderful whole learner experience of ORF mm -hmm. and who also love the structure of the Kodai yeah. sequence is like, okay, how, how messy can you get? How loose-ended can you get with this? Yeah. Especially if you have performances or a grading period going on. Right. So that that's kind of like what I, I... I'm not saying that I expected to find all the answers. I didn't expect to like open the middle of the book and say, in August, do, 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 do. Yes. You know, and well, there are yeah. books like that. And good luck with you. I mean, because that's a lovely thing. And it's very attractive to look at a calendar and say that. But, you know, even in the best laid plans, it's not about your planning in long range because if the students in your room aren't getting it yeah. and you have to change it up, you're really uh, the better teacher adjusts things to the students in their room. Right. Not I'm beholden to this on the page. Damn it. My Erin Condren planner says this is happening in October. Right. And we're going there whether you like it or not, you know, or whether they're ready. So this is that constant struggle between like how much control are you willing to give up to make sure they're there? And how you've got to have some kind of loose plan. How does it work? Of course. And, you know, to be fair, it really looks like the last couple of chapters in the book is where they give con lots of concrete uh, yes. examples. But and she I think we're just not there I, yet. I did look a little bit, but I noticed that there's not... Okay, I didn't delve deep with these last few chapters. There's not really a long-range thing, though. Right. What do we do in the long-range plan? Well, do you want me to share something that I did? Please. And I will be honest, I don't know if it's 100% where she's going with this. So um, my school has been really embracing, like, using the workshop model, you know, as as what to do in every grade level, not just writer's workshop. So when workshop. you say workshop model, are we talking about um, project-based learning, problem-based learning, right. or so this a workshop has model? This is workshop model in that you you plan your lesson and that you have some sort of a hook to get the kids excited about whatever it is they're learning, um, a mini lesson where you walk them through the thought process that they're going to be using, uh -huh. and then the bulk of the lesson is them working, okay. work time, I get right? That. And then you come back to the end and you have a little wrap-up conclusion. And then throughout the work time, there's points where you check in and see how they're doing and catch and release, you know, mm -hmm. you, you check in with them and then send them back to do their work. So what's a so, typical time frame for that? Um, well, if you think of it like within an hour, so they, they talk about planning it in a circle, like pieces, like pie pieces of a circle. Okay. So if you had like an hour, you know, math class, for example, you'd probably want to do maybe five minutes on your hook, ten minutes on your listening or your um your mini lesson, and then probably like forty minutes or so of work time. Okay. And then like a five minute wrap up at the end. 
Okay. So the idea is that the students are working for most of the time, right? Mm -hmm. So I was thinking while we were doing this training about can this work in a music class, you know? And it's like, when I think about the bulk of what I do, it's mostly whole group, Mm -hmm. me with the kids, we're doing it together, singing, playing games, and there might be opportunities for them to do little small group things, but it's not the bulk of my lesson. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go all in and plan a workshop model inspired lesson okay for my second graders and I specifically said I'm going to challenge myself to do this with younger grades because I feel like I can wrap my head around it more with older kids so I did basically a long-term composition project okay that had I had my time frame a little better it really would have been four lessons but it ended up being three because it was at the end of the year and we ran out of time and I really wanted it to be kind of like that capstone project idea where they're composing something that encompasses what we've learned in second grade okay so the idea was each day I started with a folk song that they knew Mm -hmm. and that was kind of their their hook right we would sing it we would read it, and then we would go play the singing game or whatever. Okay. So Hop Old Squirrel or whatever, you know, something that they really enjoyed. And then we'd sit down, and I would use inquiry questions to help them notice. And if it was, like, day one, we were just focusing on the rhythm. Uh-huh. And we did, like, a little form analysis, a phrase form, you know, small letter form. So then in day one, was there any work on their own time? Yeah, I'm getting there. Sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. just going no, no, slow. No. So then I would model for them, and then this is the mini lesson. So if we did a song that had an A, B, A, C form, which is very popular, mm-hmm. you know, for lots of folk songs, for just the rhythm, for example, then I said, well, what would it look like if I wanted to create my own composition that used an A, B, A, C form? And I walked them through the, that process, showed them how to do it, and then said, okay, so today you in a small group are going to create a rhythm composition using ABAC form. Okay. And these are the rhythms that you can use, anything we've learned. Mm-hmm. In, and I let them use whole notes even, even though that was kind of a cop-out, but some of them did. But whatever. And I let them really make it their own, right? Okay. And then there was a little moment of sharing where they shared their compositions and then some inquiry questions about, is there anything you want to change? Because next time we're going to be adding melody to this rhythm. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be continuing this process as we go. And then... If there was time for conclusion, we got to share our ideas of what we are going to do next time to make it better. But for me, that conclusion piece, that wrapping it up piece is always the hardest one to get into. Yeah, yeah. So when it came to the actual bulk of time that they were working in their small group, just creating a rhythm, they were probably working on it for about 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. So I shortened the work time a little bit, but then there was also, I broke it up. Was that enough time or was that too much time? Yeah, they actually... They were, they were pretty, that was about good. Some groups finished early, okay. in which case then I had them practice it and think about, is there anything you want to change? And they were doing this on dry erase boards. They could do lots of changing and adjusting, and a lot of them did that. Okay. So then the idea is then, the next lesson then, they did just stick notation, and they added the solfege. Okay. So second grade, we had finished with the pentatonic scale so they could use do re mi sol la Mm -hmm. again we had like an anchor piece an anchor song that we used as our hook song but then we analyzed the solfege and noticed oh even if the rhythm is the same here is the solfege the same and we talked about the difference between rhythm and melodic form so that Mm -hmm. was kind of a cool thing and then i showed them the process of how to add solfege to my rhythm composition and then they did the same thing to so they took out that same one that they yeah the same composition and then they did that. Now, here's where I know you and I have gone, gone rounds about this, but I did have them play it on Boomwhackers. I mean, I had them sing it first, and then I let them play it on Boomwhackers because I thought having each student play 
individually their composition on an orf instrument. I don't have enough orf instruments. So they got do re mi so la and they played it on boomwhackers. There's nothing wrong with boomwhackers. I know That's you fun. and I have had this conversation. It's not the best, but it worked. No, it's and fun. then on day three, then. But now wait, can I ask? Were oh, you in yeah. the key of C? Yeah, so when okay, they were singing, so it was low. That's my boom marker. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, I know. When they were singing, it was low. But I felt as far as having them be successful at playing it, with the time frame that we had, I didn't think I could get them all in an orf instrument to be able to play it. Well, sure. So that was my so, whole thing, is how are they going to share this? Okay. So then, day three was, they transferred their stick notation to staff notation. And I gave them a big, I did it on like a big poster board. I gave each group like a big staff notation. Okay. And I did a whole stick to staff review, how you add stems and the whole thing. And they did it that. And then they performed it one more time. Now, here's where on the fourth day, if I would have had a fourth day, there would have been a more formal sharing process where they could then do more self-reflection on theirs, but also comment on other people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I can record it on Seesaw, and they can comment on Seesaw and this whole thing, but I ran out of time, and it just didn't happen. So they performed it within class. I took videos for my own record keeping, but we never shared it outside of the four walls of our classroom. You right. what I'm saying? So, yes, I totally see. Anyways, so to wrap it all up, I'm sorry that that was a really no, no, that's explanation. Very, yeah, but it's good I was, to hear all that. I, it was really a learning process for me to do a long-term project like that with second graders because, yeah. you know, their attention span. It's like, are we still doing this? And they kind of, there were a few moments of that where they were like, uh, but because each day had its own quote-unquote problem mm-hmm. or challenge that they were doing. Now, were they able, do you think that they understood at the very beginning when you did your, um, I'm sorry, what do you, the, the very, the, the singing game. Yeah, the hook. The hook, that's yeah. what I meant to say. Did, were they connecting the hook to what you were doing that day? Yeah, because, because what you were we did was we analyzed that or, song. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and so if it was the day we were Here's doing. Here's the melody of, mm-hmm. you know, Rocky Mountain. Yes. And now you're going to put, uh, uh, another yeah. question. Um, did you see, <laughs> did any of them, because. I've done not this long of a thing, but I have done similar things where my students um, will m- create their melody and it'll be very strangely suspicious, very similar to that song that we just did. I actually didn't. Okay. I, the problem that I had more was, and I talked about this so much in my mini lesson, is the idea of when you're doing melody, be aware of your, your skips and your leaps because mm-hmm. then it ends up being this very disjunct and it didn't flow. Because mm-hmm. that was one of the things we talked about is notice in this folk song how most of the, of, of the melodic movement is steps. And there's mm-hmm. a few skips, but there's really no large leaps. But they would still write it down and be like, let's do a do. And then let's do a la. And right, let's do a right. re. So I kept bringing it back to, well, can you sing it? Right. Well, no, because it was so choppy. And, right. And then when so, they started to put it on instruments and they can't play it. This exactly. Is, the time when That's they go back and revise. Little, and there were still some groups that really took that to heart and some groups that their their performance of their piece was very choppy because it didn't flow. And, that, I mean, that's also the nature of boomwhackers. So then you could have done, like, a couple more class periods. When oh, yeah, could've... I mean, it, it really. But then it, then you have to balance again. These are second graders. And right. how long do I want to go with Well, this? and that's the whole thing. So how many lessons was it totally? That ended said up being three lessons three. because I didn't get to that fourth lesson that I would have liked Well, let's to say you did to. four or maybe even yeah. five because yeah. the fifth one would be, like, performing it, recording it, to put it into a form, some kind right. of portfolio, like yeah. a Seesaw yeah. um, app or something similar to that. Let's say you took five lessons. Um, 
I think by the fourth lesson, I would be getting antsy about <laughs> I, I, if how I how much to, time how much taking. time it's taking. Yeah, and, and that's why I did it at the end of as the a year. capstone project. Though exactly. that's perfect. It then you sense. don't have to be. Then then you just get anxious about it being the end of the year. Yeah, and I I mean I always want my last day of whatever grade to be just a fun, joyful music making experience, singing games and things like that. I didn't mm-hmm. want this project to be on our very last day of music. So I had to, you know, push it up a little bit. And then no, that's very smart of you though, to to plan it out. But I will say one thing, and this is kind of affirmed why I did it. And the whole idea of making it real life and sharing is, um, I took their, you know, their composition on the staff that was in kid handwriting and I hung them in the hallway Ah. and the teachers would walk by and say, you know, what grade level did this? And I would say second grade. They'd be like, oh my gosh, second graders did this. You know, they were blown away. And then I would make sure to tell the second graders, oh, so many people were complimenting you on your work. And then older students were walking by and complimenting their work. And then what you could have done had you had another class period and recorded it is do like a QR code at the bottom. That was exactly what I was going to do was, yeah, have a QR code and have like a gallery walk thing. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to do, but I ran out of time. Yeah. So anyways, to wrap it all up. <laughs> Chapter five. It's possible to do these long-term things. Well, and I so, think that's what affirmed in my head. It's possible. It's worth it. And there was a little bit with my planning as far as, yes, I can plan the structure of what I want my mini lesson to look like. But when it comes to the student work time, you can anticipate. And this is one of the things they talked about in the, the training that I took. You can anticipate the hiccups that the kids might have because we all know where they're going to be. Like, for example, like I said, about teaching them the difference between just randomly assigning solfege to Mm -hmm. their rhythm versus really being thoughtful about it. I knew that was going to be a hiccup. Right. Because that's something students Were they allowed to use instruments as they were composing the melody? I had them not at first because I didn't want it to distract them. But you would think that you'd want to have... Because I've done a similar thing with recorders. Yes. And it was really beneficial for them, I would say... To have the Let's instruments. break it down, and, and why don't you, once you complete a musical phrase, and, and I did get very specific. I said, after you've written two measures, see if you can play it and what exactly. it sounds like. Otherwise, yeah. you're just assigning random things. I kind of did, like, rough draft, try it out, and now edit. And okay. they were editing with the instruments in their hands. Like, right. oh, let's change this to a ray, and let's make it two rays in a row because it'll be easier to play. Right. Versus this thing so when it came to the planning it was really about anticipating and knowing my students well enough to know where those hiccups were going to be but then also being ready to go with the flow and that's the whole idea of the catch and release is oh I'm seeing that a lot of groups are having this hiccup okay I'm gonna go ahead and stop them I'm gonna stop the whole class I'm gonna remind them of blah 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 and then let them all go back or Everyone's doing pretty well except this one group over here is struggling. Yeah, then you can just and then you just go group. talk to that one group, yeah. and then allowing for that organic, natural learning to happen as 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 it could. I don't. I mean, I don't think I took it as far as I could have, but for my first go, no, at that's something pretty like impressive, that, though. Um, it was yeah. scary for me, I have to say, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, in yes. the fact that you said it's giving up a lot of that time that we would normally spend doing other things, but I felt like it was time well spent, and the kids were creating something that was organically them. So which I could liked. your problem back to the problem with the word problem? Yeah. Could your problem be, or is it too broad, to to say the problem is, um, we want to. 
synthesize think, our learnings from music? I think music? that's really what it was. I, I, I didn't use the word problem. Is that and too I big just, for second graders? Yeah, I think to... I just said we have so many wonderful musical ideas that mm-hmm. we've learned. Yeah. I'd love to see you take those musical ideas and create your own song. Yeah. And I really focused on that. You're creating your own songs, your own original song. And I use the word song just because even sure. though there weren't words. It just to make it simpler for the kids. But I remember really focusing on that and them getting kind of excited about that. Right. I guess I'm just trying to shove that idea into this. This is something I feel like we as music teachers do all the time is that I'm trying to make that idea fit with this new terminology. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it doesn't matter if you call I mean, how you give the rationale for them doing that particular thing, that particular capstone project that you did. I mean, it worked out very well and you had buy-in and yeah. Yeah. Okay. The other thing, bringing it back to the book now, after my big long story, is um, she talked a lot about assessment and how important that is. And again, if I go back to this example I just gave, I mean, if you are doing kind of that organic, natural assessment in your classroom, assessment shouldn't be this big thing that you stop teaching. No, it's happening all the time. And I was really pleased reading that. And um, I wanted to, yeah, give a little shout out to that. I call them performance assessments. Yes. But when I call them performance assessments, that doesn't mean everybody stop and look at so-and-so because they're going to sing three measures or four measures. Right. It's not that. It's that they're perform- They're doing the music, and I'm assessing them based on how they're performing right now. And I just want to give a plug for that being so much more valuable than pencil and paper or yeah. even on an iPad or any kind of like answering questions about music does not show musical growth right yeah generally i hear yeah i mean in the in the elementary music classroom so yeah i was really pleased to see how often she talked about how we're always always assessing based on their their musical performances yeah i highlighted this that i think you know sums it up she she used the words authentic assessment techniques this is on page 69 and then she said, that is, assessment activities should be real-life problem-solving experiences designed to enable learners to demonstrate their understanding of musical ideas in a musical context. Right. So instead of, you know, handing my students a test where they have to identify rhythms with ticka ticka, which I have done, instead of that, it's handing them a pair of rhythm sticks and can you play this ostinato using right. ticka tickas. Where I get hung up and I think that there's still, it has to be, and and this is very specific to our district, is that we break it down into different grades, right? So Mm -hmm. there is a performance grade, how well they perform both instrumental and singing. There's a creation grade, how well they compose and Mm -hmm. improvise and all that. There is specifically a grade for reading and writing and notating music. Yes. So how do you, if you were giving them a performance-based assessment, how do you break it down? How do I really know that kid is reading and writing those rhythms versus just orally copying what their neighbor is doing? Well, even in a performance assessment, you have to, like, really zone in on just one thing. Right. Right? So maybe for younger, much younger kids, you're observing whether or not they can keep this steady beat while they're performing something, right? Right. So if they're singing out of tune, but they're keeping that steady beat, right, then you're not docking them for... Give me an example, though, of something like that that's specifically about if they were reading. If if, If the goal of the assessment is for me to know whether they can read these specific rhythms. Right. That's where it gets tricky and as a district we created a reading assessment 
and it was on recorder and it was for fourth grade. Right. We don't have this anymore because, yeah, we went back and forth about it and, and it's, it wasn't perfect, but a lot of people complained that it was sight reading. Well, it kind of has to be. Right. It kind of has to be sight reading. Right. Now, the, the problem point. with the specific thing that we created in fourth grade is that it was not authentic music. It was created to be an assessment. Right. And it was rife with syncopas, yes. right? In addition to B-A-G-E-D yeah. in fourth grade. It's supposed to be the end of fourth grade. Um, and so that, as a reading assessment, I think was um, not as successful as it could have been because it was like hitting all the hardest boxes yeah. of rhythm, of playing technique. Of, right. So like, what are we assessing now? We're assessing all those things. That's what I mean. And when they do a reading assessment, that's why I think it's more, more valuable for them to do it vocally, yeah. right? Because if you throw an instrument in there, you can't help but start grading them on technique stuff, right? That's a, yeah. I mean, so if, if they squeak through yeah. this exercise How do you know and they, they get it, the squeaks were perfectly, the rhythm in the, of the squeaks was just right on. Right. But I'm sorry, like it's the whole package, right? They might be able to sing that piece on solfa, mm -hmm. but not be able to actually physically play it on the recording. Right. So and I think that most private teachers would back me up on this, that any kind of like sight reading, which really is a reading assessment, is definitely not going to be at the same level that they should be right. reading most of their music, right? Right. So, I mean... If you were to sit down and sight read on the cello, right? Yeah. And it wouldn't be an exercise that would be something that you would be working on in, in your studio. Right. It's going to be much easier. Yeah. And that's because it's it's a first time read. Right. Right? So yeah. I think that you have to... And there therein is, lies the problem with this authentic idea of like, um, do you create things? Yeah. Just for assessment? Right. And I would say no. And that points us towards... Using authentic music, I think, again, with the Kodai repertoire, that there are lots and lots and lots of songs that you can use. We talk about late practice mm -hmm. in a PPP, uh, yep. prepare, present, uh, practice format. A late practice is often a first reading of a song. Right. Right. So bringing in an unknown song. So you're bringing in an unknown that is not going to contain... You're, you're assessing them on their reading of that particular rhythm, for example. Right. So if I was doing an assessment for them on do are they able to articulate this rhythm, I'm not going to include melody. Right. So I will I will use a song that is within the Kodai repertoire, but I'll take away the melody. But then what's, you know, I'm getting in the nitty gritty, what do you actually have them do? They have to each do it individually? Or they're doing it all together, and can you get enough feedback about an individual student if they're doing it all together? I would do it, and I usually do small groups. And okay. For me, that means four people or less. So then, how do you know or, that, that or, last group didn't learn from the first group? Well, this is yeah. where it gets tricky. I know this. You is know, I, but when specific. I have done this, I've well, I've done it in a number of different ways. But one thing that has been. It, if they've been trained well on centers, yes. then this can be a center. This is true. Right? So yeah. that last group, unless they've, you know, really been diligent about listening to what's going on in the testing center, right? They've been occupied, so they haven't really heard. Oh, well, that's or exactly you right. could throw them each a different piece. You could do that. That's true. You know, there's or enough... take advantage of technology and have them do it on Seesaw or Google right. Classroom or whatever. Or you could have a... Um, well, if you're assigning 
each group a different piece and you are really concerned about making sure you get a grade for Johnny and is he just like singing a half or speaking or singing a half a second later than the guy next to him yeah then you you know break it up by um you do the first two measures you do the next two right measures, pass the mic Chain singing, chain, chain singing. reading, Yeah, that's what I meant whatever. to say. Chain singing. Yeah. Yeah. All right, this is all very nitty-gritty stuff, but the point being that it should be woven into what they're doing all the time. Right. And not, I'm going to take 30 minutes of my lesson to give them this pen and pencil test, which... Well, and, and that makes it truly, I don't know, it, it, it's like enjoyable. You don't even have, I've, especially with younger kids... I barely mention that this is a set the assessment. They see me with my, my iPad yeah. out, but I don't say, and now we are doing the assessment past the mic, right? I just, I mean, they know what's going on. And I yeah. say, oh, I'm just writing down whether you got it or whether you don't. Exactly. And oftentimes I've been known to like um, put them in a specific order that's on my sure. iPad yeah. to make it easier for me. Yeah. So I can go zip, zip, zip. Or if I'm chain singing, yes, I will load the bases and put the ringers at the very, very beginning. Right. Yeah, because I want to make sure, if we're especially if we're singing, yeah. that I start with somebody who's going to be in tune. Yeah. Right? So. I do have to put a shout out, and I mentioned Seesaw a minute ago, that she talks about one of the most authentic ways to document student work is through portfolio assessment. Right. Okay. Now, what... here's where I started getting a little cranky as well. Yeah, okay. Yes. Because this is great. Fine and good. And I know, yeah, I, I totally agree with portfolios. And you've done wonderful things on Seesaw where you've had families who can listen and, like, give comments. No, and I haven't all of done that, that specifically. You? I you no, I mean, I've shared things um, like whole group doing something on Dojo where oh, the parents can see okay. it. I've never done the family sharing on Seesaw. I know you can. But it's, sorry, I just wanted to be okay. transparent. But okay. Keep going. Yes. I, yeah. I knew you had done something like that. Right. It doesn't matter whether it's But it's not it's on... individual students. Like, okay. hey, look at this whole class is doing this awesome Well, and thing. see, this is what she's calling for. And this is where I go, yeah. sounds great. I get it. Yes, very authentic. How does that work into um, my my load? Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. That is like a bottom line. And That is huge. As music teachers who are very autonomous in our building, because we're in charge of the music curriculum, yeah. right? No one's looking over our shoulder for the most part. Right. You don't have other music teachers coming in and, and checking and, and seeing if, well, it's November. Are you doing this with third grade? You don't have that generally, right? right. So this is a lot of um, personal accountability. Yeah. And I honestly, I mean, I, I, I have a life kind of sometimes um, yeah. outside of the music classroom. And just the the load, the, the workload of doing portfolios, like how do you decide to do that? And even with one grade level, let's say you have one grade level of three different classes in that grade. Yeah. Or let's even say you only have two second grades and you're doing this and you're doing a portfolio for each student. Yeah. I want, I and you know what, I love university people, but sometimes this is where I get a little like, right, like that's fine, my world that's nice to say try. from the, your university yeah. office. Show me exactly how that looks yeah. with me still like shampooing and sleeping. Right. I mean, I will be honest, in my teaching situation, I feel like it could happen because I have one-to-one -one technology. Okay. And because the students can bring it to my class and instead of them doing this worksheet on paper they can do something similar on seesaw and then boom it's in their portfolio it's it's a little more work to upload it um and on 
on one sense, but not any more work than me going to the photocopy machine and, and making copies, to okay. be honest. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have the means to be able to do digital portfolio, now a paper portfolio, there's no, no way. way I couldn't mm-hmm. go there. Um, but the nice thing about digital portfolios is you can capture videos, pictures, you have them do worksheets. I mean, of course, there's limitations to what you can do. Okay, well, so but that's the closest thing that I've seen to be able to make this happen. Uh, that's where I'd like to put a shout out right now to anyone who is super tech savvy. Yeah. The five of you that are listening right now. <laughs> Good job. Um, please, would you let us know? You know, we need to ask Aileen. I'm sure she's figured this out. Yeah. Because she's just Aileen Miracle so fantastic with yes. the tech. Um, but yeah, if you've got some really smooth, like this doesn't take a lot of my time, I set it up and I understand setting it up always takes long and that's fine. I'm willing to put in that work. But if you've done something like during the school year for the entire year, portfolio, digital portfolio that you've really managed to keep up and it hasn't been a huge time suck, yeah. please let us know. How, maybe is, we'll, how are you making that work? Maybe we'll throw that out on Facebook and Instagram because- yeah. That's where, when people go to Facebook and Instagram, that's what they want to be thinking of is like, you know, digital portfolios Woo-hoo! and how to maintain that. Good times. Uh-huh. Happy summer. So chapter six is where she really starts talking more about the problems within the context of breaking it down into performing problems, listening problems, creating problems. Right. And this is where I was I was really wanting some more specific examples. Okay, but here we go. Right at the very beginning of this chapter on page 75, mm-hmm. here's the answer to your problem with the problem. My problem with the problem. Learning to perform a new song or piece can be a form of musical problem solving. Done. Okay, everything I do. If the I experience do, is approached in a learner-centered way. Yes, okay. But see, that's the... If that's the experience the, is approached in a learner-centered way. That's the part where I feel like I'm not necessarily doing that. It's like, okay, here's a great folk song. Let's sing and play it. At, at what point is it the kids? I don't know. This is where I struggle. And I might be thinking of it way too Okay, hard. Lear, I'm going to keep reading because, all right, learning to perform the music through imitation. Okay, yeah, this is where I kind of got a weird, like, okay, well then, all right, let me just read. <laughs> learning to perform the music through imitation of a model is quite different from learning the music through thoughtfully solving problems related to specific dimensions of the music. Asking learners to mimic a song or piece line by line does not challenge their ability to reason musically yeah. as much as asking them to figure out specific aspects of the work would. Okay, but, here's my but, but how do we start instilling the musical skills right. of singing, not just singing this song, but singing intervals in tune and understanding how to create like melodic contour for example or a song within a steady beat or i mean in this chapter i got a little frustrated because i kept writing in the margins they call that marginalia by the way oh that my marginalia says okay but what about their musical skills okay but when are we learning how to do the thing like having the problem of and this is where I would have loved to see a specific example. Okay, so she says, they might be asked to determine the harmonic structure so they will know what chords to play to accompany. Well, that's all fine and good for older kids. Mm-hmm. And maybe we're assuming that they have some musical skills. Just the musical skills of being able to do an oral recall of melody yeah. or one note in a chord pro- in, of the chord in, in a chord progression is a skill. 
Right. Right? So are we assuming that we've done things before? Well, that have, you know, the way that, that I interpreted this section is the difference between learning like whole song versus rote, you know, versus the rote imitation thing. And this is something we talk a lot about in Kodai training that, you know, rather than having the kids sit down and say, okay, echo me, here's phrase well, one. Well, no, echo and me. you always want to hear the whole song. Right, and she sure. mentions that, that they would need to hear the song or piece performed in its entirety many times to make decisions or solve the problems. So that right. is when you're doing the singing game or you're introducing the song through a story, right? Right. But then I think the idea is then the actual problem solving comes where after they've been sitting there, they are starting to sing the song while they're playing the game and they're starting to sing along with you while you're reading the story, whatever it is. Is, then you go and if it's a song for reading then you start to ask these questions like okay well what are you noticing in this okay, song but and do then... you start with telling them here's our musical problem because I think that that is not going to be helpful in them learning the song necessarily right that's that I think that's after they've learned it now they're going to decode it I mean if they're... I'm thinking specifically about them reading there there is performing. a technique of rote teaching of teaching a song by rote where they stay here the entire song, but you say, listen, can you tell where the does are? Right. Or even for younger kids, what question is being asked? Or I think who do you think is singing this? Like, great. But you're directing their attention towards listening. So right. they're listening and they're hearing the whole thing. They're hearing the text, the melody, the rhythm, you know, any articulation. And you're just directing them you're, you're just getting the song into them, and it needs to happen many times before they're asked to join in. Right. But that is not a musical problem. The musical problem is how many houses in Baltimore does a little, you know, that that's not the musical problem. Right. The Those musical... are just the gimmicks to get them to listen. Right. right? Yeah. Exactly. But the musical problem when you said how many does there are or which words have the ticka ticka rhythm But that's or still not the musical problem because, again, that's just getting them... I mean, that's getting them be, to focus on the rhythm. Them to think like a musician, which is what she was saying in the chapter previously, that if they are processing music and thinking about music the way that musicians do mm-hmm. by decoding, sure, that's what musicians do. But that's not a big enough problem for you to fo- to to spend. I don't know. I, I guess I'm still I, unclear on when are you telling students what this musical problem is. This is true. How do you present it to them? And she yeah. says. Um, there are many ways to teach music for performance besides asking learners to imitate the teacher. I agree, but how do you, you can't, you can't really avoid that. They are going right. to imitate you. And I think a, I think what she was getting at is just the idea of not doing the phrase by phrase, oh, teach totally. a song by rote. No, when that it's should totally rarely out ever of happen. Contact, the context doesn't have that holistic no. feeling. No, and the only yeah. time I do that is after they've heard it many, many times. That's what I, yeah, I think that's really what she's getting okay. at. And let me see, what else did I highlight? Is this okay? The act of pulling it all together and producing the music, understanding what one is supposed to be doing, and then executing it accurately is in itself a problem-solving act, but that is only the beginning. See, this is the whole thing. Because, then where do we go? <laughs> yeah, the work of learning how to perform one's part in the context of the ensemble is also problem-solving. Right. So again, this we're having we, we just got to get our heads around this idea of problem. Yeah, uh, that's just her t- terminology. I just, yeah, that she, I like the word challenge yeah. better. Even and you know, it, and I'm thinking about with younger students, it could be just as simple as now. You know, I have a challenge for you. What if we were to create an ostinato to accompany this song? Because 
lots of music has harmony you know i mean and then our problem is there's no ostinato kids. and we need one <laughs> yeah i mean that to me seems superficial but it saying does. i have a challenge for you you know music sung in multiple parts is really beautiful and exciting when put together but it can be challenging yeah so let's okay create an now ostinato would you call like that, that teacher directed though yeah, because are you going to expect a kid to pop their little hand up and go, wait a minute? Let's add an ostinato. I'm feeling a baseline. Yeah, no, but that's that she has made that point time and time again in the book. To be fair, that with younger students, it is going to be more teacher directed. Not just younger students, older beginners too. I'm sorry, but like when I meet my middle schoolers, who you know they've had different different music teacher. Well, yeah, every single year. Yes, I don't. That in itself I, is a musical problem. That is, that's my musical. <laughs> problem i yeah i just don't see that that the students will start to ask questions and create problems on their own um i mean again if you are in the same school with the same group of kids for a very long time and you've and you've been teaching this way for a very long time Mm -hmm. that might start to happen i'd be curious for anyone who's really delved into this type i would like to see it in action yeah okay so how did you take the other quote problem so she talked about, you know, performing problems. Yep. And listening, listening problems, problems and creating problems. And that's funny with <laughs> the creating problems. Creation problem. as in like composing. And I I mean, to me that's the easiest one to wrap my head around is the creation because that to me is the most authentic student driven thing. Right. The listening is that, to me probably the hardest one for that, me to wrap my head around. When I was looking through the listening problems, um, that was a little murky to me, and I highlighted this. In solving listening problems, learners might be asked to represent their understanding of formal or textual characteristics of the work or of the organization of dynamic or tempo changes within the work. They might be asked to represent their understanding of pitch, harmonic or rhythmic characteristics, or even stylistic characteristics. Now, that put me in mind of, like, an ORF process. Yeah. Of, well, maybe not like the ORF process, but the ORF um, cornerstone of creative movement. Whoops. Timers are going off. I really thought that was going to be silent. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. um, so, yeah, that put me in mind of, you know, a common ORF activity of students representing what they hear through movement. All right? right. But how does that work when you say, but I want you to focus on just the dynamics how does that translate so they have a big movement when it's forte and a small movement when it's piano is that it i mean that's all we're doing for young students maybe and i think what's important um and i don't know that she necessarily said it here but i swear she said it in other places in regards to listening that oftentimes then those activities are immediately woven into performing or creating right okay. so they're creating a movement to demonstrate what they were just listening that i did i not read that somewhere that that the listening on its own is often tied into the other modes or the other things that they're going to be doing Okay. At least that would be my goal for myself, and I think we talk about this a lot. I just, my, my whole thing is that I can't imagine, well, okay, I guess I'm talking out, out of both sides of my mouth, but when kids hear a piece of, like a rich piece of music that is multi-layered, yes. I, and I, if I were to ask them to do something creative mus- movement-wise, I would hope that they would do at least um, two different I'm sorry, I'm going to say elements, but two different yeah. elements 
within like I I would hope in, unless they're really really young that we're not going to see them just representing loud and soft well, sounds, yes. but they're also probably going to do something with the tempo, right? And yeah, she talked about that again, not here, so I'll probably find it later, where she talks about if you're focusing on that one specific dimension of the music, let's say rhythm, mm-hmm. then after they have demonstrated that or discovered that in whatever way that you've kind of led them to that, then you just simply ask the question, what else are you hearing? Right. And then see where it goes from there. And if they're noticing the instruments, then you say, okay, well, let's listen again and let's figure out what instruments we're hearing. Okay. So to allow the students to lead you down that path. All right. I remember her mentioning that in another section. So. Okay. Um, and then for creating, she talks a lot about, you know, just the things we think about a lot that we do, composing and arranging. But really where I started to have a new thought is this idea of songwriting yeah and that's um i haven't done a lot of songwriting i've done composing where they're composing with certain rhythms and certain you know pitches to demonstrate their learning like i mentioned that whole sixth grade or second grade project but songwriting where they're really maybe starting more with the text that seems way more of an authentic experience especially for older kids yeah and i but have it done. seems like a big task when i do the blues unit and honestly um that's like the culmination is when they write their own blues. Yeah. Right. I have to be honest that I'm, I struggle that I get pretty disappointed with um, how much help they need with text yeah. when the form, I think, the, the form of the text is so very specific. But it's, um, it's a rhythmic problem that they have. So, for example, at the end of a blues study I do, I used to do with sixth grade, and now I'm moving it down to fifth grade, but now I'm moving it back up to sixth grade, I guess. <laughs> anyway, we'll see what happens. But the culmination at, that they do of writing text, that I, I have to write four verses, and it's in the blues, and the lyrics are A-A-B, like... Woke up this morning, couldn't feel my face. Woke up this morning, couldn't feel my... I mean, like, really, they're writing two lines yeah. for each verse, right? Right. And then, blah da 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 something rhymes with face, right? right. Oh, my goodness. They struggle I honestly like that. am shocked how much they struggle, not just with... Well, we talk about rhyming, and, and we even have, like, a... Um, I give them, like, a... Um, uh, visual diagram like here's your rhyme catcher like let's yeah. throw in all those words that rhyme with face right yeah but then they also so they have a problem with the, the rhyming but they really have a problem with um making the text last for that many bars right right yeah so they'd be like i'm sad I'm sad. It's so bad, dude. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yes. We're in fifth grade. Can we? And I know some of it is that they're being lazy. I think that there's like this lack of transference from, all right, I'm writing because I'm in the classroom and and we're doing writing. Yeah. And now I'm in the music room so I can, like, be a crappy writer. I don't know. I'm thinking that there might be some of that going on. So here's my little devil's advocate question for you. Please. If you were doing more songwriting experiences from the younger grades, Mm. 
Good point. Yeah, because if you're waiting <gasps> till fifth point. grade, then you're yeah. going to get these surfacey things. And I'm saying this from someone who doesn't hardly do any songwriting all right. for full transparency. You're right. Because she me. talks about doing, well, she even gives an example of a first grade class about puppies. That's so oh, sweet. Oh, I know. I know. Where I struggle with this whole idea of songwriting is that, and maybe I just really need to get over my like Western classical way of thinking about music Mm -hmm. that you know and she specifically says this is not a lesson in notation we are not having the students notate this right they are just going to sing their little ditty and i'm going to quickly write it down or i'm going to record it and write it down later and show it to them later i struggle with how much of class then is just them just singing but but at the same time i stop myself and say what a lovely natural way for them just to make music it is and if we think about how a lot of the music that they're consuming is made that's the reality of it, you know. And you know what? You will be surprised. I, I might play something. All right, I'll ask her before we... Okay, I'm going to play something. Can I play something? Sure. Okay, this um, is my daughter, Amelia, improvising a song. Oh, I love it. Okay, now, it. here's why I want to play this is because what surprised me was that it wasn't, like, through composed. It wasn't just, like rambly singing like I do in the car All right. like it was like it she came like back I had a real... so I'm not going to play all 7 minutes and 28 seconds oh please don't but, but I am going to play a little bit I will listen to it later okay. okay in the cars there is only one thing that you hear in the cars and it's not anything at all but you guys hear that thing and that sigh, sigh. And everyone is sometimes outside in their cars, but not always, but not always. But not always, but not always, because it's always time to go good night, so rock a baby, rock a So, all right, I'm going to stop that. Yes. But the reason I, and I'm sorry that that was a little longer than it should have been. Uh, but, but it was so sweet. No, the, my point is, and we, and I should have cued it a little bit better, is that she sang like a first verse. Yeah. She sang that, rock my baby, rock. Yeah. And then she goes and she sings another verse, yeah. which is kind of rambly again. Okay, yeah. But then she goes back to... Rock about so, yeah, there's and she has a clear it. coda. Oh yeah, and she does this because it's just like, you know, I there's mean, implied harmonies. There's implied, and I don't. I mean, in the silences, I think that she is hearing. Yeah, you know, some some background harmonies. Right. But anyway, that yeah, that is really. I know it's. I'm sorry. Thank you for sitting through that. I uh, hope no, it wasn't but that's, painful. that's a great example. But I just wanted to give an example of like, yeah, you know, it was. She was um, six years old, and 
just because she's heard music, she intuitively like verse, chorus, and then later on she comes back to that. Yeah. And you could hear some cadences. You could hear her going back to do. Yeah. You know, and that wasn't so I'm 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 kind of giving like a devil's advocate about <laughs> not necessarily like labeling all the things before they get to use the things. Well, and exactly. And how melodically and harmonically rich was that when, how old did you say she was? She was six. Yeah. So if we're thinking of it in a Kodai classroom, mm-hmm. then her song could only have so and me and maybe la. I mean, right. that's, and quite, that's true. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's a totally different way of going about creating music versus letting them just use whatever melodic palette they have in their brain. Yep. All right, and we're going to briefly touch about Chapter 7, Thinking About Learners in Planning Musical Problems, because um, I got to a point where I felt like maybe she was contradicting herself. Okay. Okay. Beginners of all ages need to start with the most accessible and least complex musical concepts, concepts that can be understood without extensive prior experience with other concepts. Okay. And how does one do that? with older beginners when the point was you want to start with some rich musical material that is developmentally appropriate Mm. for older kids. Beginners of all ages need to start with the most accessible and least complex musical concepts. Totally agree, right? And how does that work within, um, let's make sure our authentic music matches uh, like the, um, is attractive to the older learners. Well, that is the challenge. I mean, and I guess I, it depends on how old you're talking about. So well, and like... then the other question, because like that entire statement that I just read, like that's Kodai level one. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, but here she doesn't discuss like, okay, I mean, that would be impossible to do within the context of this book, but I would have hoped that she would say, well, I guess she kind of does. Later on, she does talk about what we should be doing in the younger grades. She says, young. later on in the chapter, young children should be have, have should have many opportunities to listen to music of all styles. They should be singing. They should be playing. Mm-hmm. They should be moving. They should be doing this. I just thought that that point needed to be driven home a little bit more because as a younger or beginning music teacher reading this text, I think I would be lost as to wow, um, I have to get my students creating, improvising, but I also have to get them ex- understanding these basic music concepts. How do I do both? Right. Right. One thing that she does mention about older beginners, and this is on 93, she said that they may be able to deal with more than one of the basic ideas within one lesson and progress oh, sure. rather quickly to more complex. So and we talk you know, about that with older beginners yeah, all the time. Yeah, and right. I think that was really the point. And then also hitting those older beginners with some more of those, oh gosh, I just want to make sure I get the the, the meta dimensions, that's the vocabulary I wanted to use, coming mm-hmm. at it with those, starting with those bigger ideas that would be way too broad and hard for, you know, younger students to be able to get. Mm-hmm. But if you start with those and then work your way. So that's your doorway in. Yeah. Right. But your doorway in is not going to be your focus. It's going to be just how we get in there. Um, And she says, for example, to understand meter, one must understand steady beat and Mm -hmm. stress. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 
Yeah, I, I guess I'm just talking in circles because I'm concerned about like, and of course I just played like Amelia who at six years old wouldn't have been able to tell you, oh, well I hear this harmonic progression going this way at this point and then we're back to the chorus. Uh, yeah. You know, she doesn't have that musical vocabulary. Right. And like it was said in the book, she had musical understandings that she can't verbalize. Right. Right. And she can't articulate. Um, but I guess my, I'm just struggling between the... Um, all right, when we're talking about teaching music and we're talking about musical understanding, how much of it do we want to make sure that they really have a concrete understanding of before we're asking them to do these huge things with it? Like improvising. Right. Especially older kids. How much are we expecting from their creativity? This is true. I do appreciate that she did give a lot of talk about middle-level experiences. Um, you know, okay, once they've gotten through kind of these basic things, this is where we're going next, the use of notation. Although she does make a comment, and as a Kodai Inspired teacher, I struggled with about um, not really getting to notation until like second grade yeah, or the end of third and yeah. kind of living in icon land. I'm a firm believer that we can give students notation sooner than that if mm -hmm. it's given to them in a sequential child-friendly way yeah music so. notations lasted for a really long time yeah. it works really well and there's no reason why i don't can't. yeah i mean kids can use success and we can use iconic notation one I mean, thing that i highlighted that i was i'm still pondering is um this is on page 100 she's talking about this is now we're in the middle level experiences so to me i'm thinking like second through fourth grade maybe third fourth maybe into fifth i don't mm -hmm. know if i was to put a grade on it um she said using both iconic and standard symbols side by side for several months giving learners the option of reading either or both as they work have you ever done anything like that you know i haven't but i have seen um we had a music teacher teacher in the district that did some really wonderful things with um like percussion play-alongs but okay. it was all symbolic okay notation yeah and her you know it was she was explaining this is my first year at this school these kids have had a lot of turnover in their music teacher they enjoyed this yeah they're able to read this and so this is i keep creating these for them and i get that what i'm really trying to wrap my head around is giving them both side by side yeah, I don't, and giving them kind of the choice because I mean if I, I think, think about given it the choice they're not going to bother with no, traditional I'm thinking okay we're in the quote-unquote practice stage of whatever element dimension you know we're working on whatever concept if I'm thinking in a very traditional linear ppp kind of plan mm -hmm. once you've given them a notation we're in you don't go back no we're in we're so, reading it yeah I just I'm I'm pondering that because I also you know strongly believe in the idea of differentiation as we all right. should and I I wonder, I mean, she talks about pushing kids too far and, you know, are you, are well, you isolating I think, kids who are not able to access the symbolic thing? I, I think that it would be okay to give them a choice. Yeah. I really can't see. I don't see myself. I don't see the giving them like both at the same time. Yeah. And I don't yeah. see. I, I think it, there's ways you can, can provide supports without going that far back. You know, maybe that could be a I challenge. Not, and I haven't done it, so I really don't know what I'm talking about. But maybe it could be a challenge where you say, okay, why don't we have them side by side? And when I, when I hit the bell tree, see if you can pick up reading the other notation. Right. And, or I'll call out what measure we're on. I don't know. Okay. I, but why do that? I know. Why yeah. do that? 
Yeah, and she mentioned it even even in what she talks about more complex musical experiences. She said, continue to include both icons and symbols when music needs to be represented, even at this level, insisting that everyone use symbols might exclude or alienate some learners who have not quite mastered the system. And well, I how do are think they going to master the of, system unless they're they're? I mean, but I do. I think about some of our special needs learners who are just not going to get there. I mean, I have kids who are in fifth grade, sixth grade, and they're still not able to read music notation at the point I would like them to be able to at that point because they have some sort of a cognitive delay or something going on. But then I give them other support. So for example, if we're reading from the treble clef, you know, I sit with them and we decide together what the letters are and I write it above the staff for them. Okay. So they're allowed to read yeah. from looking at letters. Well, you're but differentiating I went through, for them and that's Yeah. I, I, again, I don't know that I would offer that to the whole group. I would just offer that to yeah, the Yeah, I, I, I could see that. Well, um, then again, maybe giving them those options gives them a lot more agency, right? Yeah. So I, 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 I kind of get it. Can I... Um, Mentioned something oh, backed yeah. up a little bit, yep. which she's talking about entry-level experiences for older beginners on uh-huh. page 98. Um, well, she has right in the middle of the page, what do you hear in this music? And finally, voila, I like Get made, a good you know, highlights example. and stars because I'm like, yay, here's a good concrete example of the problem right. and the materials and the, the solutions. Um, and I wrote in the margins, pair this with world music pedagogy. Yes, Like, this would be an excellent way when she's talking about um, you're setting up this problem that um, you're having, it's a listening problem, while the music is playing, invite learners to write a word or two that describes something they hear in the music. So that's kind of a wide open, which is great for older beginners, I think. And they can write anything that about anything that they hear and you can have you know this is like your gallery walk of um you know posters around the room where they can go and they write something they hear and i think think this might be a really good first or even second listening for world music pedagogy yeah where for world music pedagogy for world musics or unfamiliar music to them i like for the very first listening to be we're listening and i'm not i'm not giving you anything right except maybe who do you think is performing this music? Yeah, like, I like those or questions. what area, what what part of the world of the might world that or... that's like the mm-hmm. only direction I might give for something that's really foreign to them. Well, yeah, and it's just setting up the fact that it will be foreign to them, right? And, that's, and then, but I like yeah. this approach of like rather than discuss it in a group, you know, you could have kids going and during a second or third listen, writing down things that they hear or questions that they have. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just really like that as a listening because it's so listening can be so very challenging. Yeah. Because she states in here you want it to be short, but it has to be the whole thing. Right. I'm not like, to okay, do excerpts. Well, she talked She about said don't do excerpts. excerpts. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well. Unless the excerpt itself gives enough of a I mean, I get what she was saying. You yes. want to make sure you give them enough that they're really having a whole music experience. I get that. But I like what I I play the right of spring, right? Right. And um I don't we we're not gonna I don't I don't know. It depends on what you're listening to. We're not gonna take six minutes of solid um I don't know, unless it's following a listening map. Right. So that's a challenge. I wanna play excerpts of the Red of Spring. Right. I don't know. That's okay too. Uh <laughs> no, it's um, not. Oh. Well, and then 
I, we both highlighted this big chunk. Okay, so and I please think read. We have, to, we have to give a little mention of this. So on this on page 102. If the goal of the general music class is to nurture musical understandings such that learners are better able to engage in and enjoy music once they have left school, we need to recognize that for many of our students that engagement will be as consumers of music. Educated consumers need to know how to listen and to make choices and make, excuse me, and make choices about the music that will be a part of their lives, not how to read musical notation. Yes. You know, I think I was, I was like, yep, I hear you until that last yep. bit. I know. Because, mm -hmm. um, and we were talking about this, we just did a live Facebook, Instagram we started to get into video that about bit. chapters one through four, but this came up. Um, this came up because it was just been sticking in my craw ever since yeah, I read it. That I understand that the reality is, yes, we want educated consumers of music. I fully understand that, that might most be the of reality, my kids but is that are not. Yeah. I'm, I'm Shouldn't you it... have a longer, I'm Kodai, 100-year plan. I know. Music for all. Music right. literacy for all. I think the difference is, and we mentioned this in being the video. Being truly musically literate means I, being able to yes. read Right. So you can go sing Perform. in your church choir. You can go sing in your community band or, you know, you don't have to be a professional musician. You can enjoy these right. musical experiences. The reality is that's not happening as much as we would like. And so, yes, I'm 100% educated music consumers. I would love for my students to feel like they can go and be accessible to going to a symphony concert, ballet, opera, musical, whatever, and have some of that musical knowledge in their head to help them understand what they're hearing. Mm -hmm. um, I would love for my students to be able to go and be in community bands and orchestras and all of that. The reality is that's not necessarily going to be happening, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to give them musical notation, I guess is the way right. that I'm thinking Yeah, of it. exactly. For the students who want to, they're going to have the tools. For the students who choose not to use those tools, that's fine. But I'm not gonna, that's not going to be my cop-out. And I don't know if that's necessarily what she was saying. I think it kind of came out. Uh, well, I think what, what rubbed me the wrong way was this idea of we are raising consumers of music. Yeah. And that, that and the lack of music, like, it's not about reading music notation. It's not, but I, I just always equate music to um, just English literacy, yeah. right, in the United States or in any, in any community, right? We value reading and writing. We value true literacy, which means being able to read and write and, um, you know, partake in, right? Yeah. So if we really valued, and I think I've said this here before, if we valued music literacy the way we value just language literacy, wouldn't everyone have those skills? These are skills, right? Yeah. So part of like my mission as a music teacher is to like break down these barriers of people thinking that, oh, you're either born musical or you're not. And right. music is not for everyone. Music is for the elite that can afford to work, right. to take private lessons or whatever. And also music as a community builder and music as communication and music as like part of being human. Yes. And so part of being human is con is consuming, but I think that that's a very small, that should be a very small part of what it means to be musical and therefore have that part of as part of your humanity right 
I don't know. Am I... We can be advocates for that change. Is yes, really and I'm just saying that we need to aim higher than raising educated consumers. That's yeah. really what I'm trying to say. Yes, I agree. It is time for our CODA section where we will talk about uh, something personal or professional. Well, we, we just talked about professional, what we've been enjoying yeah. professionally, which yes. is teaching for musical understanding. Yes. And we will be uh, having another show, at least one. Yeah. About no, the I rest think of it. We'll do. Does two. it have to be two? We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah, this is not about that. So it's got to be personal. What have you personally been oh. enjoying, Carrie? Well, last night I went to a concert, like a like a fun concert. Looked like so much fun. Um, with my husband, and we went to see the Squirrel Nut Zippers. It was like stage diving, right? No. Oh, yeah. No, let me explain. So, um, the Squirrel Nut Zippers are um, they're based out of New Orleans now. So it's kind of this combination of New Orleans jazz and kind of it's got some fun. Uh, I don't know if I'd say bluegrassy elements, but just like just fun New Orleans jazzy music. Yeah, upbeat, fun. But they had some radio um, hits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like back in the '90s, that was you know my era, and this is when my husband and I met. We listened to a lot of the Squirrel Nut Zippers in college, and so yeah. this was really fun for us to be able to relive that. So what they did at the end of the concert that was so cool is that it really turned into like a New Orleans funeral second line kind of situation where they came down the stage and they marched through the audience right past us okay and one of the lead singers actually grabbed my hand and we had a little moment and um it's just amazing um and in particular one of the the members of the band is dr sick and so he's not in the original band like the original band is really pretty much all gone except one guy who's the glue keeping it together and he's brought in new musicians but he plays fiddle he plays banjo guitar saw the musical saw and he's just amazing to watch because he dances around and he sings and he does all sorts of crazy stuff anyways they're just high energy super fun um they have a newer album that's out as well so it's not just their older stuff wow so i definitely recommend recommend if you are into that style of music squirrel nut zippers and if cool. you go see them live they are incredible awesome so that's my recommendation I love it. live it was music really fun. so much fun all right tanya how about you okay well i'm gonna also recommend something um audio okay um love listening to podcasts of course yeah and one i've been listening to for quite a while that recently had a host change is uh slate's parenting podcast called mom and dad are fighting oh now it just it kind of makes one feel i don't know i don't uh, well anyway uh, the the new one of the new hosts on mom and dad are fighting is actually an old host so i've been listening to this podcast so very long that this particular host um dan coyce has left and there were other hosts in there and now they've left and he's come back so okay. anyway i've been listening to it for a very long time and so if you are a parent it's very amusing there is um some swearing in there so just know that but um anyway very amusing there's a lot of play off of each other and right now there's a female and a male host so there is a mom and dad okay for mom and dad are fighting um and when you listen if you've not listened before you will notice some similarities between the format of our podcast oh, and the format of mom and dad are fighting. Huh? So, well, there's there's a there's a little bit in there that uh, 
I just directly took. Oh, yeah. okay. So there you go. Nice. Anyway. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Our show notes can be found at Teaching Music Tanya's Kodai Aspiring Blog. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you hear podcasts. This will help others find this podcast. Next time, we'll be talking about our summer book club, Teaching for Musical Understanding by Jackie Wiggins, and we will tackle chapters 8, 9, and 10. Until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie, wishing you happy musicking.